Welcome to Clean Break, the weekly divorce podcast. We share the stories and experiences of divorce professionals. Find all the answers about the many complex questions about divorce and separation at divorcenet.ca. I am Tina Murray, DivorceNet's Vice Chair and co-host of Clean Break, although this morning I am hosting because my guest is Darren Javog, our illustrious leader at uh, DivorceNet. So Darren, let me just give you a little bit, give the people a little bit of uh, knowledge about actually who you are. So Darren is a financial security advisor, a certified divorce financial analyst, and also a partner at O'Farrell Financial Services. He lives in Kempfel with his wife, Sylvia, and two sons, Gage and Tristan. He is a huge advocate, and I mean huge advocate of charities in our community. He's the chair of the North Grenville Community Foundation. Uh, He's a volunteer at the Youth Center, and that is literally just among a few. You are a very busy man. <laughs> yeah, I got a, I, I got a stack calendar. <laughs> yeah, both professionally and uh, in your community-minded events. So, Darren, thank you for um, all that you do with uh, Divorce Net, all that you do with your business and the clients that you help. But in our community, you're so active. So, just thank you and uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Tina. You know, it's I, no one can see this, but I'm blushing right now. But <laughs> I, 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 I really appreciate that. That's so sweet of you to say that. Um, I love this community. I love the people in the community. And uh, I, I, I'm always looking for ways that I can improve their lives and my life. Because, I mean, I always say that uh, your community is sort of like, as a farmer would say, is how you fertilize the ground. Right. You have to fertilize the ground and make the crops grow. And I think in a community, it's the same. It's the same ideology. You have to give back and and help the community grow from all levels in order to have a happy community. Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. volunteering in our community is so important. Like mm. I, you know, I think about um, the different organizations and this is totally off track from DivorceNet yeah. itself and, and uh, Clean Break, but there's so many organizations that rely heavily on the volunteer people and the hours and hours and hours that people put in is mm. incredible. So yeah, I remember, I remember uh, sitting in on a meeting a couple uh, months back and we were talking about the impact of the hours that uh, uh, that volunteers put into the community mm-hmm. and they they basically tagged it with an with a dollar amount and it yeah. was literally in the tens of millions of dollars yeah. even in a small community like North Granville agreed just crazy yeah. yeah so um Darren let's just talk a little bit about you um give us your story how did you get here cool all right well uh, I'm not originally from Kempville I do love Kempville but I'm not originally from here uh I came here via Toronto I grew up in uh downtown Toronto in a small area called Cabbage Town uh, Cabbage Town uh, back in the early 80s uh, was a very unique place to grow up because it was kind of on the cusp between uh, lower income housing and blue collar, white collar kind of uh, neighborhood. Okay. So it was literally just crossing the street. You know, you'd be in a completely different a completely different world. Wow. Um, so that was really interesting for me because I, I grew up most of my life there in my teenagers in that area. And um, I, I learned, you know, about having and not having. You know, and and the impact it has on, on, you know, your life. So I was fortunate to grow up on the side. My dad was a contractor and a builder. And so we had a a comfortable life. Um, And but I had friends in the the community that were uh, on the other side that were struggling. And I think what that really taught me was that, you know, that I needed to appreciate what I had. Hmm. You know, I couldn't I didn't want to I didn't want to take it for granted. So that was that was an interesting experience for me. Um, so I left Cabbage Town and uh, came up in the late 80s. I joined the military, did a very short um, 
uh, tour in the service uh, for three years, and then that I decided at that point that that wasn't for me. So I, uh, uh, but experimenting wow. was a good thing, yeah. Um, so I left the military and I uh, came up to Ottawa where I had friends from high school uh, that were going to Carleton University, and I decided to uh, uh, pursue my post-secondary education. So I, I started in psychology and criminology. I ended up going to Algonquin as well. Uh, I finished that up, and uh, then I went to Children's Aid. I was working there, there for a little while as a, a counselor for youth, and uh, that gave me a huge, huge. Uh, that was a huge experience for me because I, it, it helped me become much more empathetic towards youth. Because when you're in your twenties, you only care about yourself, right? right. So, <laughs> yeah. But when, when I was in my twenties, I was having to deal with with uh, uh, youth that were going through some very traumatic experiences wow. in their lives. So, I, so that was that was it. But then I realized that wasn't really for me either because it was hard for me taking those stories home with me. Right. So I left that. Uh, did a re-educated myself in private college in technology. Then everything blew up in 2001. <laughs> what haven't you done? Please tell me. So <laughs> that might was, be a shorter list. <laughs> yeah. But I did that, and it was it was fun. I mean, I love technology. That's when you know all these big names you hear today were coming up, like the Facebooks and yeah. the and uh, and Google. I mean, back in the day when Google was coming up, I remember as a techie that uh, that was the the cool place to go for techies because wow. it wasn't all muddled up like Yahoo was. Yeah. So anyways, uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm digressing there, but uh, that was a great experience for me too. But then I finally landed my feet uh, into financial planning in 2007. Um, and and it, was, it mainly came as an as a encouragement because I was sold uh, two really inappropriate products. So somebody came along in my life and sold me some, some, some investments and some insurance that were completely inappropriate for me. And I learned that it was wrong. I, it angered me because no one likes to be sold something you don't need or want. Exactly. Uh, and then, and I became almost like an advocate against bad products. Interesting. Right? Wow. So yeah. And then my wife finally got tired of listening to me and said, "Why don't you go get paid to do this?" Wow. Right? So, okay. Wow. <laughs> so in 2007, I started. Uh, I started with a large financial institution. Uh, worked with them for quite a long time, and uh, and then. Uh, Moved to another large financial institution and broadened my 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 knowledge base and became into becoming a more comprehensive planner. Uh, and then in 2015, I was offered an opportunity to join O'Farrell Financial because I was literally, uh, you know, five, I live five minutes away from my office here in Kempville. So I couldn't say no to that. It was an amazing offer. Uh, they had a great team here. Uh, and then in 2017, one of the partners was retiring and I was offered a, a partnership. And again, it was just an amazing offer I couldn't refuse. And so I jumped on that and it's been just an absolutely mind blowing experience yeah. working with O'Farrell Financial because they are such uh, a comprehensive firm. They're a boutique style firm. They're not a big, big financial institution. We've been around for, the company's been around for 20 years. Uh, and, and since then, we, it, the company's grown to 33 team members. We've got nine advisors, seven partners, and over 6,000 clients. So it's Incredible. been a great, yeah. great journey. And, and all the, the, the great thing is all the advisors have their own specialty, right. which is cool, because we've okay. got Keeley, who's a business professional. Uh, we've got Hugh, who deals with farming, and then I do the divorce side. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Yeah, Cause, cause, sure. Because I want to just address this uh, CDFA versus a CFA. 
So obviously, certified financial analyst, certified divorce financial analyst. You mm -hmm. are both. You mm -hmm. have your CFAs and your CDFA. I, I'm a CDFA, Certified yeah. Divorce Financial Analyst. Yeah. I'm a Financial Security Advisor. Financial yeah. Security Advisor. Okay. Yeah. So let's talk about the Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. What is it? Okay. So that's a that's a great question. So a lot of people don't even know it exists, right? Uh, and exactly. Yeah. So it is shockingly, it's been around for about 25 years in the U.S. Okay. Uh, and it came about mainly because you know, lawyers and mediators realize that they are great at applying the law, right? But they're not as good when it comes to dividing assets, using numbers, calculations, uh, and understanding the financial plan of the client after their divorce is finalized. So there was this kind of a vacuum of, for, of, of knowledge and advice uh, uh, in the states that, that came about for divorcing clients. So to fill that niche, um, financial planners started becoming aware of and educating themselves on the process of divorce and how they could apply their trade of planning, right? Uh, fast forward a little bit more now. So 15 years ago, it came to Canada. Uh, more and more people started uh, realizing the value of, of getting that designation. And uh, I got my designation back about five years ago. And it was mainly because I was working with um, some, some clients who were in the process of divorce. They were extremely emotional they are extremely uh, uh, uh they were having a lot a lot of trouble focusing and they had so many questions that i just realized you know there's like if i'm going to help these people i need to educate myself on the process mm -hmm. and 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 how and there's something out there that i can do so i found that the certified divorce uh financial analyst designation in the u.s and found out that they had a canadian branch and a canadian arm of of the actual education and designation so i took that uh, ended up helping those clients and I was surprised because they were still going through it like a year after wow. I finished the designation. Uh, but I think I was maybe not instrumental, but I was, I had a, I had a good, uh, a good say in how things, uh, uh, rolled out for them and how I helped them. Right. So how, how do you help them? Like, like what exactly drill down into that and what it looks like for, for sure. a client? Yeah. Um, so as a, as a CDFA, what I like to say is I'm like a quarterback on a football team. Right. So now I know we've had a lot of guests here that talk about getting organized. Mm -hmm. So what I do as a CDFA, number one, is I try to bring clarity to the conversation. Now, sometimes I'll work with two clients, but more often than not, I'm working with one because the system in Canada is it can be adversarial. Now, I do work with collaborative divorce and I work with mediators as well. Uh, what I usually when I talk to clients about it, I usually say, if I'm going to work in that capacity, I need you both to be in the room at all times. You're going to be CC'd on all emails. All, communi all communications have to happen with us all in the room. In the right? collaborative, collaborative or mediated, or mediated yeah, okay. situation. Because okay. you cannot have one person knowing something that the other sure. doesn't. Absolutely. Right? Yep. What I typically get is I'll, I'll have a client come in and see me individually and say, I just want to make sure I'm making the right choices. Right. Right. And, and, and where I usually find the challenge is the client comes in to see me and they're literally like a week before signing their, right. their separation agreement or they're like a week before having their divorce decree come on, like be finalized, right? And they just want to make sure. And they just want to make sure, yeah. So th that for me is a real challenge because sure. now I have to go back and, and, and I'll be honest with you, mo many times I'll look back through what's, what's happened and I'll see things that should be looked at differently right. or give opinions or options that right. how they could pursue things that would be better for their situation. So now the client has, has, is faced with this, with this issue where they have to untangle or unwind mm -hmm. the process that they've done with their lawyer or mediator, right? right? 
So I usually recommend to clients, I say, you know, if you can come and see me at the very beginning, right, right before you even talk to your lawyer or your mediator. Okay. I tell people right off the hop, number one, I am not a, a lawyer. I am not a lawyer. I do not give legal advice. I do not give mediation advice. I give financial planning advice based on the divorce situation, okay. right? Mm-hmm. And the way I go about doing that is I say, first things first, number one, you have to be in the state of mind to, to, to gather all your information. So I try to bring some clarity to the client to say, look, you're going to be okay, right? We are going to get you through this and it's going to be fine. I promise you it'll be fine. First, though, we have to take the emotions out. Mm -hmm. So I usually give some, uh, and this is part of my counseling background, is I give a few tips to people to try to get them focused, try to bring them in line to what we're doing, right? Little things like put a a rubber band on your wrist and snap the rubber band when you get those thoughts going through your head and you're starting to think, you know, how angry you are at your spouse Mm -hmm. and everything else. Snap the rubber band, bring yourself back in line and focus to what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm not a counselor. I give give referrals to counselors, but I usually try to say to people, let's try to stay focused for a minute, right? Right. So at that point, what we do is, so at referral, we have a a five-step process that we go through, right? And so what I do is I put together everything financially and document everything that the client has. First meeting is get to know you. I usually say it's like kick the tires, you know, like, do you like the car? Do you want to drive the car? That's the first conversation. Second conversation in that first meeting is what's important to you. Mm -hmm. You know, like, tell me about your, your biggest obstacles right now, what you're worried about, right? Are you worried about running out of money? Are you worried about uh, like retirement after the divorce? Are you worried about who's going to get the kids? Are you going to have enough spousal support? These are all your biggest fears. So let me captivate that and put that to the side. We'll deal with those individually one at a time, right? Okay. Then we then we define and document your life, right? All your assets, your liabilities, uh, your cash flow, your budget, um, you know, the, the kids, like every little stick of information in your life that's going on, right? And the reason I do that is because if you if you wait and then do that with your lawyer or your mediator, the clock is running, right? And one of my biggest uh, one of the biggest benefits of dealing with a CDFA at the very beginning and the onset is we're, we're there to try to help you save money, build clarity and save you time. Right now, lawyers can charge anywhere from three hundred to five hundred dollars an hour. Right. And they're worth it. They're, like they are worth it when it comes to applying the law and getting you through that divorce. They are worth it. But there's nothing that says that you have to pay more than you have to. Right. Right. So you have to be careful about how many phone calls you make, how many emails you send, all these things. Because right. every touch to your lawyer costs money. Right. Right. Yeah. So I always say, if you can bundle things together in a nice and neat package before you go see your lawyer and you walk in and you say, this is what I want. And if I can't have this, then I want this. And say to your lawyer and just push it, put it in front of that person. You've just eliminated three quarters of the time you're spending with your lawyer trying to talk about what it is you want. Because you already have a clear path. Yeah, you've got the vision right. of what you're trying to do. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So our process starts with that. Like we start off with the defining all the documentation. Right. Then the second step is the second meeting is usually the evaluate and analyze. Right. So we go through all the documents. Okay. We, um, you know, we, we, we. We prepare you for the conversation with your lawyer. What is it you want to keep? What do you not want to keep? You know, you have a cottage. Maybe you have a pension that you want to keep. Maybe you don't want to stay in the house. Maybe you want to stay in the house. All these things are are, are, are discussed, right? Then the, then the next part of the conversation is the equalization. And that's probably one of the biggest, right. biggest conversations with your lawyer and what it is you want to keep of the assets mm-hmm. and, and, and the debts. Because at the end of the day, Everything has to be equalized for 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 that for both spouses. Right. Right. So you it, think of it like a balance sheet, 
right? So in-house here at O'Farrell Financial, what we did was, and I have a team that works with me, and we designed an in-house calculator that basically in front of the client in real time, I can distill down after taxes um, what all the assets are worth for each party after the debt and taxes are taken out, right? Okay. What that does though, is it allows clients in front of me to tell me what's important to them. And then I can show them the net cost to them going forward after the divorce. Right. And, and how what they're gonna have to trade to keep it. Then after we've had that conversation, the calculator allows me to gross back up into, into the, the, the larger number, like if it's a pension or if it's an RSP, I can gross it back up into its original state and show them exactly how they have to present it to their lawyer. This is what I want, right? right? So that's like the first calculator I use, right? The second part of the calculation is obviously cash flow and financial plan. So based on the equalization document that I present to the client, I then produce a financial plan for the client showing them their current, during, and after divorce financial situation. So they can see at this at, at on just one sheet of paper when they can retire, what they're going to retire with, and how they what their lifestyle is going to look like. So that right there brings the tension in the room down like you wouldn't believe because mm. people go from high high anxiety. Right. They're in the corner. They want to fight for everything. They have no idea what's going to happen. They're just angry. There's so much going on. They don't know what this what to do. Right. Mm. They see this and they go. I'm going to be okay. I'm really going to be okay. Right. Like this is this is this I'm, this will be fine. Right. And then we come up with uh, like alternative strategies. So I know it might not be a silver bullet on the mm -hmm. first round, mm -hmm. but if they have two or three other options, they can go to their lawyer and say, if I can't have A, I want B. And if I can't have B, I want C. Right. And if I can't have C, then I'm going back to see my financial, my, my advisor and, and, and work on a new plan before I agree to anything. But that brings some clarity to the conversation. So, so that just sort of brings me like a little bit back to one of my original questions about the difference between a CDFA and a CFA, right? So a mm -hmm. Certified financial analyst or planner or whatever knows how to plan your finances going forward, but don't actually drill down into the best way to equalize right. net, yeah. net assets in a divorce. Right, right, exactly. So, uh, so that's that's a that's a great question because uh, CFP, I think, is what or you're, certified yeah, financial yeah. planner. The, yeah. the CFP designation is is exactly that. It, they it, they they are a generalist that talks about planning using certain products. And solutions to, to get, get to know, that some, end goal right and that's part of the financial plan right right, right. so that's fine uh and that happens that can happen for anyone you don't sure. have to be going through a divorce to sure. get a financial plan obviously right. that's the best course of action if you're looking to plan for your life is get a financial plan right? right what i do as a cdfa though is i create a financial plan for the divorce right right, right. so get them through the divorce and mm -hmm. then at that point if they agree on all these things they can then make a decision as to what the next 20 years of the life is going to look like. Right. Right. So that's kind of gives some, some, some clarity. And that's what a CDFA does is we look at assets, equalization. We apply, you know, we can have discussions in general about what has ha what they, we've seen happen in previous uh, divorces. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's going to happen for them, right. but we can give them some clarity on things like, uh, you know, what case studies have had child support, spousal support, what the expectation is on, on previous cases based on, income and age of the children and how long you've been married and things like that. Like I'm not a lawyer and I don't do that, but right. I say in previous cases, this right. is what I've seen. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So that kind of sets the expectation for the client. And, and again, it's about providing clarity. Right. Right. 
which then brings up the confidence of the client. Mm -hmm. So when they walk into their office, into a lawyer's office, they can walk in feeling assured and confident about what they're going through to do, Mm -hmm. which then saves them time and money. Right. Right. And we've talked with lawyers and they've said things like, um, we want, we want, you know, clients to come in with all their financials first meeting. That would be ideal. So realistically, and like you mentioned, going to see you prior or to see a CDFA prior is getting all that information and even at a higher level mm, absolutely. than just coming in with your last three years tax returns. Absolutely. And, and, and like I said, as, as being the, uh, the quarterback in the situation, I would, I work extensively, not only with the lawyers and the mediators, but I work with the accountants. Right. Right. So I'll work with the accountant to find out, get the, the financial tax returns right. for previous years and document that and put it together. Um, one of the documents that a lawyer will ask a client to provide or will produce for the client is called a 13-1, which is a, a financial disclosure document, right, for when you're going through divorce. That's a document that I provide my clients before they go see the doctor. Uh, doctor. So before they go see the, no. <laughs> before they go see the lawyer. Maybe they need uh, to see a Maybe doctor. I'm a doctor almost <laughs> in certain ways, right? But I'll, 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 I'll provide them with that document. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not complete until mm-hmm. the lawyer's processed it, right? But that, again, is that that step before you get to see the person. Yeah. You've presented what you think is everything you have. And then the lawyer, it speeds up the process with your lawyer right. to go through the 13-1, right? Yeah. Um, and, and then as part of our process in the wrap-up, uh, in the fifth part of our, the fifth part is the, is the, is the finalization when you're at the end of the, of the process, right? But just before that, what we do is we create a binder for the client. Okay. And it's actually, it's right in front yeah. of us right now. You can't see it because we're on the radio, but... Maybe Mike um, can take a picture. Mike can take a picture. There you go. Uh, so there's different sections in the binder mm-hmm. that, that segregate off, uh, number one, what our process is. It segregates off the taxes, the equalization document that, that, that the client has agreed to is, is what they want to keep in all, in all the assets. Uh, there's a section in there that talks about if there's spousal support or child support, that's where the client would put it after their discussion uh, with their lawyer because their lawyer might possibly use a, a program called DivorceMate. DivorceMate is a, is a, a program that uh, uses case studies and, and some legal framework that are, shows the minimum amount that you have to pay for child support. So what this does is it allows, you, allows the client to, to organize themselves when they get those documents and put them in, in a certain section of the binder. Hmm. There's another section in there, in there that documents all the assets, like the investments that the clients have. Uh, a section in there for insurance, a section in there for uh, their financial plan before and after the divorce. So it really organizes everything very, very, very clearly for the client. And I think, you know, we've talked a lot with a lot of different uh, guests on the show and we've talked about things like, you know, we've had uh, therapists and we've had, you know, uh, family lawyers, we've had, you know, all of those different types of people. And that's one of the things that has become increasingly clear is that organization, mm-hmm. planning, being a little bit preemptive, you know, being a little bit... Um, premeditated, I guess, and just being planned. And I think you have to, you have to utilize all these resources, not just one. They're all pieces of the puzzle. No no one is more important than the other. Right. And so like within DivorceNet itself, we have all of those people, all of those resources. And Mm -hmm. so I really like this book and I wish, you know, maybe we'll take a picture and throw it up on our, on our, on our Facebook or on our website, but it does, it literally gives you a really clear, um, 
guideline of what you need to do. And I think, like you say, it takes away that anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I have, you know, never gone through a divorce. And so I can only imagine the anxiety people go through mm-hmm. with the unknowns. And this just literally, I think, would just cut that by three quarters, having oh, yeah. something like this, a plan. Yeah. And I think place. that's that's kind of like where the genesis of this binder came from was, yeah. was going through enough cases. Right. You know, where I saw people and I was repeating the same thing right. for the client. So yeah. I'm like, well, why don't I just put this into one yeah. documented package so mm-hmm. that they could walk away and have everything in one place? Yeah. And I think that's also where the where the inspiration for DivorceNet came from as sure. well. Yeah. Because as part of the binder and part of the process that I was creating is I needed professionals to refer to. Right. Because I, I don't do everything. Right. And I'm like looking at my at my at the professionals in my network and I'm like I'm I was regularly trying to find a good lawyer, regularly trying to find a good mediator or a, an accountant or um, a real estate agent or a mortgage broker that understood the process that the client was going through in mm-hmm. divorce. Mm-hmm. It's great that they have their own their own kind of business, mm-hmm. but do they understand the challenges facing the clients going through divorce? Right. And I wanted to try to bring together those people into a very focused group that can work together to, to speed up the process. Because mm-hmm. when you hear these stories of people going through in three, four, five years of divorce, mm-hmm. that erodes and destroys wealth. It does, guaranteed. absolutely. And you it, can't help it but yeah. to erode it. And you can't get through the whole, you can't get on with your life until right. you've closed the chapter. Yeah. So my mind has always been, when I plan, and from either a psychological or a financial aspect, is how do I deal with the problem as quickly and logically as pro- as, po- as possible, right? Mm-hmm. And for me, that's two things. Have a process for the divorce, mm-hmm. which is what my binder's about, and have a network that I can refer to. Mm-hmm. And and I, I we're, we're starting to see the benefits of that already, where people are just they're they're coming to us and saying oh my god this is amazing mm-hmm. i've got people to talk to that know exactly what my situation is i'm in and out i'm getting it done i feel like i'm empowered to finish this process and get to the other side yeah so anyways. so i want to ask you maybe this isn't a question that is really easy to answer but we've had conversations because we've dealt with clients we've you know had clients mutual ones and so you know some of the things you've talked about have been things like you know a lot of people will say well i just want the house Mm. And somebody will say, well, I just want my pension. Mm. And and there's really, it's it's not cut and dry, is it? No. Like you think, okay, well, I'm going to take the house. It's going to be $250,000. You're going to keep her $350,000 or $450,000. you are going to keep your pension and we'll all be happy. Mm. But it's not that simple. It never is. It never is. No. Like, there's a real specific formula involved with that, right? Because yeah. I know that, um, and I think you've said this specifically, mm. is that if you are the one taking the pension, mm. you're really bound by lots of rules mm-hmm. uh, at time of taking it, whereas if you'd go ahead and sell that house for $450,000, you know, $450,000, you can do anything you want with, Pretty but if much. you have a $450,000 pension, mm-hmm. it's completely different, right? Yeah, no, and that comes up quite a bit because I think uh, I think that's part of the education process that clients go through, mm-hmm. is understanding uh, how each of the assets that they own, how they're treated and taxed. Right. And those are and, two big words, treated and taxed. And not just now. Now and in the future. Right. right. And and one of the things about, and, and that was one of the biggest struggles I had when, when I started building the calculator, the equalization calculator. Because again, lawyers are great at applying the law. They're not so good at applying numbers. Right. right? And they're not accountants. They're right. lawyers. 
So many times I, I would see separation agreements or I'd see agreements whereby, you know, an asset is traded at an extremely high tax level. So uh, an RSP or something like that tax at 25%. And to me, that's, that's huge. Like, I mean, there, it, there's very rarely would you ever see a client get to retirement and pay 25% on every dollar they take out of their RSP. It's right. just, it's, it's, it, that's not the average taxation unless the person is like over a hundred thousand dollars. Yes. So, so to just randomly apply a number like that in a calculation when you're equalizing it is, right. is, is, is a, is, is a misstep right away. Mm. Um, the flip side to that is if you're looking at a government pension, or a defined benefit pension, or let's say a pension from someone who's a police officer, or let's say a nurse, where that pension is extremely valuable mm -hmm. and will probably pay out at a very high level mm -hmm. in, in retirement, then you might look at increasing that that tax rate, right? Right. Out, outside of that, an RSP would probably be taxed, like within our calculators, taxed at about 15%. Mm. Whereas a non-registered asset, like let's say a cottage, depending on the time that the cottage has been owned, will be taxed at 5%. Mm. So that was one of the thing, one of the challenges we had when we created our, our, our calculator and our equalization calculator is we had to have, we had to be able to show the notional value of, of the assets and then apply applicable taxes to them based on what they were. Right. So that's what, so that's one of the things I like about the calculators because it does it in real time. Like I don't have to sit there and take my calculator and yeah. do all those calculations. Right. It does it for me. Yeah. Right. And that, the other nice thing is it builds, it creates a guideline for the client to show to their lawyer mm -hmm. and say, this shows the calculations. If you think it's something else, maybe you should talk to Darren or talk to my accountant mm -hmm. to see if I'm on track or better yet, maybe we need an actuary. Yeah. To give us an act, an absolute mm. number mm -hmm. on the taxation of this asset, mm. right? So, and you're right because assets they are all are all taxed differently. Right. A house there is no tax. No, because it's TFSAs there is no tax. Right. RSPs there is a tax. Depends on what you're going to be making in retirement. Yeah. You and your spouse, who's a higher income earner, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a that's a real um, that's a real important conversation to have. Mm -hmm. right? The other thing is you hear, you know, you hear lots of clients who aren't using a CDFA and they're saying, uh, well, you know, I've just got to get my pension stuff to my lawyer for the, so that we can do the equalization of pensions. Mm -hmm. Right. So again, that, I think that speaks to what you've already said, but just wanted to kind of go in that direction. Like, and I, again, I'm not saying that lawyers aren't doing it right, but mm -hmm. it, is that, is that the best way? Is that the best way to deal with that? If, you know, I have a small little pension and my spouse has a fairly large pension and we just do an equal, like just taking it to the lawyers and letting them equalize it. Is that, are they okay. doing it the same way? Well, again, it goes back to that, <laughs> that conversation about what the percentages are, right? But yeah. I think another takeaway there as well is, is when clients are looking at those assets and, and let's say you, like you said, if you kept the house and there's no taxes on that, and mm -hmm. obviously you're going to bring all the assets down to their after tax value, right? right? When you're trading them, it's when you gross them back up and you're keeping things mm -hmm. like, let's say transferring a portion of a pension over yeah. to offset the cost of the house, right? That pension has to come over in a locked in form, right? which means now you've got restrictions on it. You can't just willy nilly pull, Correct. you know, as whatever, however much money you want and be liquid from that asset. Mm -hmm. You have to wait. There's terms like you have to wait till you're 55. You have maximums and minimums once you start pulling them up, the money out. And then it's taxable. And then it's taxable hundred mm -hmm. percent. So, so clients look at that and they go, oh, I never knew that. Exactly. So it's not black and white. No. Right. 
Um, yeah, I think that's the big takeaway. It's just mm -hmm. understanding what you're giving up and what you're keeping. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so we talk about costs with lawyers. We all know that they cost money. We all know. What, what is it? What is the cost to a client? Because it sounds like it could be pretty expensive, but yeah. yet still less expensive than a lawyer. That's a great question, too. And I get that a lot. You know, like that's probably the first question that people ask me in the first meeting, right, mm -hmm. is how do you get paid, mm -hmm. right? So for our, when it comes to CDFAs, there's literally two different models that are out there. Well, there's a, probably a few others if you got a little, if you if you decide to get creative. Okay. <laughs> but, but, but I mean, you could put them in two different camps, right? The first camp is basically what's called pro bono, right? And that's where a financial advisor has the designation hmm. and maybe client comes to see them and they they they, they provide the guidance and advice uh, for no cost right so they don't charge them anything to do it I, I caution people about that model only because financial advisors have a fiduciary duty to do what's right for their client at all times hmm. and if you are advising a client on a pro bono basis of what their divorce is what's the ultimate intention at some point in time to get paid is it the fact that you want to bring that person in as a client later on and manage their assets? Mm -hmm. it, or, or, is, or, or are you seriously doing it for because you don't expect to get paid at all? Right? Mm -hmm. and, and the reason I say it's a slippery slope is because if you go to see somebody and they're giving you advice on dividing those assets when they know that the end game is to try to bring that asset over and they manage it, exactly. you have to be very careful about that, sure. right? Yeah. So I usually tell people, um, you know, if, 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 if the advisor is using it as a, as a prospecting tool, or a way to gather clients mm -hmm. on their financial planning side, mm -hmm. then be cautious of that because they, like that, that is a dangerous thing to be doing sure. with your licensing. Right. On the flip side, what I do is uh, we do we do a fee for service model, okay. and I like that model very much because just like a lawyer, just like your just like your accountant yep. or anybody that works on an hourly rate, we charge a, a, a set rate to do a financial to do a financial plan for the divorce, so a divorce plan. Um, and then while I'm doing that process, even if the client asks me to, to give them advice on their investments or their insurance or anything like that, I, I vehemently say we have a disclosure document that the client has to sign that says I will not provide you any financial planning advice as per outside of your divorce or as per any of your, your individual assets or products that you might have. Um, because you're getting into that gray area again. Okay. So what I do is I say, if the client presents a, a question like that to me, I say, I'd be happy to introduce you to another financial planner okay. that can help you with these questions. But while we're working together in divorce, I can't answer those questions for you. Okay. Right. Yep. So what does it cost? We start off the fee for service model that we use, uh, is, is $1,500. Okay. The $1,500 roughly covers about five meetings. And at the end of the process, uh, it covers basically them getting about two to three different scenarios okay. to present to their lawyer, right? What I found is we don't use usually use a, like a clock yeah. when those meetings are happening. So it's not like you're billed by the minute. Right. We say, you know, like an average meeting is an hour, an hour and a half, and you get about five of those. Now, in between all those meetings, we're doing our... There's a lot of work. There's all the work that yeah. we're gathering in the background presenting for to show you when you come to the meetings. Mm -hmm. So that's where the $1,500 comes from. Uh, we charge that. And then going forward, if a client decides, you know, uh, they need to keep us on retainer, then we have an hourly rate. Because another thing that happens is sometimes clients will say, you know, I'm going to court. Mm -hmm. I need to defend my position right. and I need an expert witness. Yes. And that's something that we will do as well. We'll go into court and, and, and speak to a judge and explain to the judge and the opposing counsel 
why this makes sense, why it's fair for both parties. Because one of the big misconceptions is equal is fair. Right. And equal is not fair, right? Because if I take a saw and I cut something in half, it doesn't mean that it's absolutely fair because you've got, again, the equalization of the assets where if you're taking the house and someone else is taking the pensions, that can be completely different as to right. what, who got a better deal, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So, and I've shown people that on paper where I'm doing a plan for them and I say, look, if the, and they'll come in with a pre, uh, pre-existing idea of what they want yes. and, and they say, this is what I want. And blah, blah, blah. So I'll put it together in a plan and I'll say, okay, if your intention was that your spouse is going to be worth $2 million in retirement and you're going to be broke, then that's the right course of action because that's still equal. Right. Right. But let me show you another way of equal that might be a little more fair for you down the road. And I show that another strategy. Right. Um, so you are the only CDFA in DivorceNet right now. I am. Yeah. I am, yeah. Are you and I trying to be exclusive? <laughs> <laughs> I know. You know what? And that's a that's another awesome point to make. I, I genuinely, I genuinely believe mm -hmm. that we need more. Mm -hmm. I'd like to see a CDFA in Ottawa. Uh, I'd like to see a CDFA in Brockville. Uh, I know as far as the divorce designations go that there's, like I said, I was, uh, uh, Hillary just asked me this question before we, we started recording. Uh, there's, I, from my last calculation on the IDFA website, which is the, the governing body for the CDFA designation, there's about 25 active CDFAs, people who have current licenses in CDF, as the CDFA designation between Ottawa and Kingston. But out of those 25, about 20 of them are just using it as um, a knowledge base for themselves mm -hmm. so that they can speak in general terms when they're talking to people that might be going through divorce. They don't actually have any, they don't have a planning process. They don't have, you know, they're not actively trying to do it. They're not, they're not looking to be, um, uh, you know, um, expert witnesses or anything like that. Right? right. So that, and that's fine. You know, that, I totally get that. Um, out of the, uh, so then there's another five that are actively part uh, practicing as, as CDFAs. Um, so I would like, yeah, absolutely. I would love to have more CDFAs here mm -hmm. because I don't want, I, I don't believe that, you know, I, I believe in floating all the boats around mm -hmm. me. If I pull everybody up and float their boats up, we're all going to rise together. Mm -hmm. And I want to give people a choice. I want, I think people should have choice. Mm -hmm. And the challenge for me is I have clients coming to see me from Renfrew. I have clients coming to see me from Orleans. I, wow. had, I had a client the other day came to see me from Cornwall, drove all the way out here from Cornwall. Yeah. So, and I, and I, and I understand they want, they want the advice. We need more people to give them the advice. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to see somebody from Ottawa and, and, and uh, Brockville step up and, and join the group for sure. Let's talk a little bit about what you could give uh, some advice, some tips you might want to give to some of your clients or people that are listening today that, oh, well, that's interesting. I wish I knew that or I can do that now. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I've got, you know, and that's the other thing too, is like when you see enough when you see enough separation agreements, mm -hmm. right, you see some common missteps mm -hmm. that happen quite often, right? And and I don't like to get into anyone's bailiwick. No, right. Because you're not a lawyer. <laughs> you're I'm not, not a lawyer. A, yeah, and I'm exactly. not an accountant. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and I'm not uh, like, and I, I don't focus on the insurance, but the insurance is a really quick and easy one. And I'm going to leave this one to Sharon later on to talk about, but from a high level, um, uh, one of the one mistake I see quite often in a, in a, uh, um, the separation agreement is that spousal support or child support is being protected with insurance, right? In the in the document. Yeah. So what it's saying is is that the the higher income spouse that's supporting the lower income spouse is gonna is gonna pay support, and then on that support there's gonna be insurance that's gonna protect that if something happens to that individual that the 
that the person receiving the support is going to continue to get it. Correct. Life insurance. Right. Or, and that's yeah. a common clause sure. okay. that's in, 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 a, in an agreement, right? Okay. Where it becomes a misstep is whereby the party that's accepting the agreement says, yes, that's right. I want to protect that, that, that source of income for me going down the road. It's how it's being protected. So the other side will say, yes, um, Mr. Smith has uh, uh, group life insurance of $250,000, $300,000 on, on his, in his group plan. Uh, so that should adequately protect the amount of spousal support or child support that's that that Mrs. Jones is getting, right? Okay, now, yep. I'm not trying to be sexist here, so no, no, no. <laughs> but I'm just, just saying Mr. and Mrs. Jones, right? Yeah, yeah. So 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 here's the challenge: if Mr. Jones quits his job, he no longer has, has insurance, like insurance, right? right? So now Mr. Jones quits his job and dies in a car accident. Mrs. Jones has nothing; is destitute because she no longer has that that support. Right. What I always say is that the beneficiary of the spousal support should, or, or the support itself should always own the contract, a life insurance contract on the payor for two reasons. One, the, the person who owns it is determining if they're going to cancel it or not. Sure. So the payor is going to pay for the insurance. Sure. And then the beneficiary is going to own it because now the payor can't cancel it without the payer, the, 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 the beneficiary knowing about the cancellation of the policy. Cause same situation, let's say, Let's say Mr. Jones has group insurance, right? Leaves and says, "That's okay. I'm going to go buy my own insurance for you." So I'm, I'm, I'm covering myself as far as the document, our separation agreement, or our, our, our divorce decree goes. I am, I'm covering myself because I'm buying my life insurance. So you're done. You're good with that. Mrs. Jones says, "Yeah, that's fine." Here's the problem. Two months later, Mr. Jones cancels the insurance policy. Mrs. Jones has no way of knowing that he canceled sure. it. So the, the, the person who's getting the insurance, uh, getting the spousal support, should own the policy. Yeah. And the person who's paying it should be paying for the insurance uh, of the policy. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and I usually say you have to you have to put that wording in your separation agreement mm. for it to be valid. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's probably one of the most common missteps as I see. The other one is is um, and this isn't a, this is actually a very specific point, but there's ways you can work through a divorce and and both come out winners in certain situations. Right. Sometimes this is a common situation I see is where it's one. Uh, lower income spouse wants to stay in the home, right? But that person can't afford the mortgage payment, mm. right? Mm -hmm. The higher income spouse is leaving uh, and owes spousal and child support, right? right. Yeah. So what I'll say to one of them, depending on who I'm dealing with, is if the lower income spouse, if that's the person I'm dealing with, and they want to stay in the house, I say, okay, why don't we do this? Why don't we have it so that you keep your ex-spouse on the mortgage yep. and owner of the property, right? For the time being, so that you can stay in the house. Yeah. The flip side of that is now the spouse that's paying the spousal and child support now gets an investment for that for that pay, that, that support that they're paying. Sure. Because I say, if you're paying your spousal and child support and down the road, that house now comes off and gets sold, your half gets sold to your lower income spouse, they now own that property. You just got paid out down the road on that asset and you've more or less recovered all your spousal support payments and your child support payments. You've, you've turned it into an investment. Right. Right? Why would you do that? For two reasons. For the person who gets who's in the house, they get to stay there. That's right. So they get what they want. Right. For the person who's paying it, 
they get their money back. Right. How often do you because hear the that? asset still is appreciating over the life over the, the next two, three, four, five years that they're paying that. Or, support. or until the kids are grown up and move out of the house. So you're looking at that equalization not happening the day of the separation. You're looking at that equalization happening five, ten years down 10 the road. Years down the road. Exactly. Once that's exposed now qualifies to to be in that mortgage on their own or the mortgage is now paid off. You got it. You got it. So that's a little tidbit of advice yeah, that I give people that most people don't think outside of the box on. Right. Right. Now I've got dozens of those strategies because right. people are like, you know, I'll see situations that I'll say, here's an opportunity for you. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, and so. it's mutually beneficial to both because I, yeah. I could look at it and go, wow, that that paying spouse, oh, they're getting a pretty good deal out of it. Right. But at the same time, so is the receiving spouse. Right. Because they'd have to sell the house, yep. move into something maybe they don't want to live in. Mm -hmm. uh, they'd have to disrupt the children. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe change their school. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a win win for everybody. And it kind of pulls people together to say, yeah, I'm going to get I'm going to get some benefit out of this as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So you know, it's interesting you said think outside the box. Right. Because I think that um, in our worlds, we have to think outside the box in a lot of different areas. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I do that a lot in my business as yeah. well. And I and it's not that we're trying to be um, it's not underhanded. It's just thinking differently than the normal people would think. And I think that's really a key to your business. Yeah. Is to is literally going. How can we make this work? That's mm -hmm. beneficial for everybody involved. That's that's equal. Yeah. No. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I think that we are coming close to our time. And again, Darren, I think that you and I could probably talk for hours. Yeah. For sure. In fact, we do. Yeah. But um, anyway, let's just talk a little bit about. Is there anything else you'd like to just say in in wrap up? Um, no. I think you know. I I think the only thing I'd like to say to clients is is. Uh, is the sooner you employ the professionals around you mm -hmm. and get some advice to get the process going, the better it's going to be for you. The faster you'll get through it, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think people think of, I can't afford it. But I think that the better way to say it is you can't afford not, not to. to do yeah. it. For sure. And so, um, yeah, how can we reach you? Mm. Okay, so uh, obviously they can go on the O'Farrell Financial website. They can uh, reach me directly through DivorceNet. I'm on there as well. Uh, they can call me at 613-258-1997. That's our office here in Kempville. But uh, regardless of what area they're in, they'll always be able to reach me in the Kempville or Winchester offices. Uh, they can also email me at Darren, D-A-R-E-N, uh, at O-F-S-I.ca. O'Farrell Financial Services. Incorporated. Inc. That's it. CA. Yeah, okay. that's it. Awesome. Thank you, Darren. And you're going to obviously hear from him again. <laughs> Thanks awesome. for coming on the show today. Thanks, Tina. It was awesome. It was a great day. You've been listening to Clean Break, our weekly podcast on divorce. You can find this and other great advice from divorce professionals at divorcenet.ca, where we upload audio, video, and blog content every week.